I can't believe you said that. <laughs> I didn't say that. I mean, I, I didn't mean it like that. But you did say that, and it sure sounded like you meant it. Well, don't take it so personally. Maybe you need to be a little more careful about what you say. Well, maybe you need to not be so thin-skinned. Maybe you need to toughen up a bit. If I haven't met you yet, my name is John Cabell. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And we're continuing this series on parents and parenting. And today we're going to talk about a subject that affects us all, whether we're parents or not. And that is the power of words. The power of our words. The power of words spoken to us. The power of words spoken by us. And in a little bit, we'll zero in on how that relates to being parents. But we've been in this series about parenting, and essentially what we're talking about when it comes to parenting is messed up people raising more messed up people. That's what parenting really is. It's imperfect people who need Jesus reproducing more imperfect people who need Jesus. And that sounds, could sound negative, but it's not. It's not. But as I said, we're going to be talking about the power of words. And I'm going to be watching, just so you know. And what I don't want to see is any elbowing nudging, elbowing, any glaring, no like, did you hear what he said? He's talking to you. I'll call you out if I see that. I will. I'll go, ah, ah, ah. I saw that. <laughs> Everybody's looking back at Zoll. I was just using, I'm not going to, I won't. Forget it. Anyway. <laughs> But we're talking about words and the power of words, and the Bible has a lot to say about our words. For example, in Proverbs chapter 18, in verse 21, it says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. More from the book of Proverbs. It says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Maybe you're like me, and you've been around long enough to have experienced or been a victim of other people's words, and also maybe victimized a few with your words, whether intentionally or not. One more in Proverbs 18, it says this, A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. We're going to hear that word, a fool, a few times today. I'm not accusing anybody of being a fool, but if the fool fits, just saying. <laughs> just saying. You see, nothing has the power to hurt like words. A thoughtless or careless statement 
can somehow carry far more weight, far more impact, far more power than we ever thought or even intended. But the hard thing is that once that thing is said, you can't unsay it. And you know, it's interesting how somebody will say, I don't know why I said that. I, I can't believe I said that. And I always kind of think, you had to have thought it at some point. I had to have thought it at some point before I said it. I maybe never meant to say it, and maybe it's because I knew it would be really stupid to say that out loud. And then I mistakenly said it. Or maybe I was irritated enough or angry enough or being sarcastic, and then I said it, and it was like, uh-oh, that wasn't good. Can anybody relate to that, or is it just me? Because maybe I'm just talking to myself today, you know, and you guys have to sit through it. I apologize uh, if that's the case. When somebody says something to us, or sometimes even worse, when we hear what somebody has said about us, it stings, doesn't it? And it stays on our mind. We can't not think about it. We lie awake at night thinking about it. We can't shake it. We can't get rid of it. We're driving and we're thinking of little comebacks that we would love to be able to say. Maybe certain revenge scenarios in our mind that we would we kind of roll over and over hoping that person could experience what we experienced because of what they said. We never get those opportunities but we hold on to them like crazy because it hurts. It angers us. Hurts us. Personally. And here's the problem when it comes to looking at God's word. Because when something bad is said about us, we think about it all the time, don't we? When we say the wrong thing, we think about it some but not nearly as much as when the wrong thing is said to us or about us, right? Somebody says something about us, somebody says something to us, it hurts, it's wrong, it's bad, we can't get it off our minds. We do it to someone else, and we feel badly for a while, but then we move on. But you know, in God's Word, He spends a lot of time talking about how we talk to others. And not a lot of time talking about how others speak to us. So when we're in conversations, we're thinking and we're all about what that person is saying to us. What is God all about? He's all about going, John, don't say it. I don't know how many times I've thought something and I can see God's going, don't say it. Just don't. You shouldn't have even thought it. You know, and I, you know, it's kind of like I remember when my son was 13 in junior high, and I said, Jordan, just because you're thinking it doesn't mean you should say it. You know where I get that? From God. Because God is probably all the time going, John, you're not 13 anymore. And just because you're thinking it, 
doesn't mean you need to say it. Just because you think it's appropriate, just because you think it's funny, and I usually do, doesn't mean it's appropriate to say or that someone else is going to think it's funny. My wife is all the time kind of going, you know, you think you're funny, and I think you're funny, but nobody else thinks you're funny. And I go, well, then I guess I'm just entertaining myself. <laughs> and here's a thing. In Ephesians 4.29, and this is where I get that. In Ephesians 4.29, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I used to call this the don't curse verse. Because usually this is the go-to verse to say we shouldn't say certain words. It used to be you shouldn't say words that you can't say on TV. Now it's you shouldn't say words that you can say on TV. <laughs> but you know, the point of this scripture is not vocabulary. It's not a list of words not to say. Because look at where the emphasis in this verse is. I want, to, I, highlighted, I want to highlight a couple of words here. Look at these words. He defines, what we should, he defines what we shouldn't say by telling us what we should say. He says, don't let unwholesome words come out of your mouth. Well, wait a minute, Paul. What, what do you mean by unwholesome words? Well, here's what I mean. Only what is helpful for building others up. According to their what? According to my needs? According to what I feel like I ought to say? According to what I think needs to be pronounced? No. According to their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. So, you can just figure out what not to say by sifting it through the grid of what we should be saying. Stuff that would be helpful. Stuff that would meet needs. Things that would bring benefit into the life of someone else. But most of the time, I'm thinking about what would be helpful for me. What would meet my needs. And what would benefit my life. And I'm thinking like that, and God is constantly trying to go, John, think differently. <laughs> think differently. If, you're, if, it's, if it comes naturally to you, you're probably doing it wrong. I think that's one of the rules of thumb. I feel like God's probably always just saying to me, look, the thing that you would instinctually normally do, don't do that. Because most of the time that's a bad thing to do and say. You're not funny. You're not being helpful. Nobody cares. And so that kind of becomes a guideline. So was, what I want to do is zero in now. Oh, yeah, before we move on, <laughs> another important thing. We judge others by their words. We judge ourselves by our intent. When we're in a discussion with somebody, we'll say, but you said, or they say to us, but you said, and what is our response? Well, but here's what I meant. So you have two people in a heated conversation, 
both of whom are sifting their words through their intentions. Well, I know what I intend. I know what I mean when I say that. But we're both, being, we're both judging each other based on the words, what, they, what we actually said to each other. And it gets complicated. Because if I'm in a conversation or a discussion with you, I want you to judge me by my intention because that's how I judge myself. But I'm judging you by your words, and I want you to judge you by your words. But you want to be judged by your intention, and you want me to judge you by your intentions because that's how you're judging yourself. But yet you're judging me by my words, and you want me to have that same grid too. You see how complicated this gets? It's tough to navigate sometimes. But when it comes down to this issue of parents, here's the goal. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, Fathers, and we could even just cross out fathers and write parents, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's a simple statement, but it's kind of a, a profound thought. When I was raising kids, my two, there were times when I was just mad at them. I was angry. I'd had it. I was frustrated. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't want to say anything stupid here. And one time my son, who was highly relational, he's trying to talk to me, and, I, and I'm like, Jordan, I need you to go away. Not like to another state, just upstairs or something. <laughs> I said, because I don't want to say something I'll regret. Well, and he's like, well, but Dad, Jordan, go away from me. Now you're just making me matter. <laughs> because I don't want to just provoke my kids. I don't want them just to get angry. I don't want to just punish them by saying something hurtful. But man, it's tempting to do that. Because what we're called to do as parents is something greater, is higher, more important. And that often means controlling and containing that which we would like to say. And maybe I even feel like they ought to hear long enough to be able to say, all right, what is actually going to be helpful to them? What's going to meet a need? What's going to benefit them as my kids? Whether they're little, whether they're growing, or in my case, with both my kids, maybe by the time they're both taller than me, which didn't, wasn't hard. But at all those points, and it's interesting when your kids are up, grown up, out of the house, self-supporting, starting families of their own, they're still your kids. And they still, what we say to them and about them still matters. Still matters. Okay. So when parents talk to and about their kids, what are some guidelines that we want to follow? In Proverbs 12, verse 18, it says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise 
brings healing. I should have circled this word right here. Reckless. Not careful, not smart, not thought out words. Can pierce like a sword. One or two words spoken too quickly, too carelessly, and damage that cannot be undone takes place. Another verse from Proverbs, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. As a parent, I want to be this. I want to be a tree of life. You know, I want to be a source of life. I want to enhance my kids. I want them to be everything God has them has intended them to be. The last thing I want to do is this, is crush their spirit. But this happens so easily, so quickly, and so often. And you know, it's interesting when we think about a parent's words, we're typically thinking about our words as parents to and about our children. But That's not just what they hear. Because the same rules apply when it comes to when parents are talking to and about each other. When parents are talking to each other, when they're arguing, your kids hear it. Maybe they're in the room. Or maybe they're hearing from the other room. But they hear it. They hear what you say to each other. They hear what you say about each other. And that becomes instruction. It begins to tell them, this is how you talk to a spouse. This is how you talk about your spouse. It affects how they view that other spouse. When one parent is telling their kids, when they're complaining and venting on their kids about their frustrations with their spouse, they're shaping that child's understanding of who that person is. But then they're also saying, hey, you know, someday you might grow up and you might get married, you might not, but you might. And here's how you talk to that person that you marry. It's easy to try and convince ourselves, oh, my kids know I love them. I don't always say it that much, but they know. Really? How do you know that they know? Because if they don't really hear it much, how do you know that they know? Or is it just you trying to convince yourself that, yeah, don't worry, they know, they know. I know my parents loved me growing up. But I didn't really learn that until I was grown up. Because it just wasn't something that was said in our house. Looking back, as I got older, I could say, oh, you know, I think my parents really did love me. They really did care. Because of this and because of this, because of that. But when I was little, when I was growing up, I never heard it. 
And if you would have asked me, do your parents love you, I would have said, well, I suppose, don't parents love their kids? But I'd never heard it. And the difficult thing is, someone can say, well, I do affirm my children. I tell them, hey, good job getting that. I affirm them when they, when they accomplish something. That's, that's nice. Do you affirm them when they don't do a good job? Do you affirm them when they don't accomplish something? Is one affirmation always accompanied by four or five criticisms? Hey, good job getting that A in history. I'd like to see you do that with your other classes. Well, for about two seconds there, maybe I was feeling pretty good. But apparently I suck at everything else. (laughs) And we think we're doing it for their good. But really, is it doing them any good? Is it giving grace to them? Is it benefiting them? Is it meeting a need? Because that's the standard. These are the questions we have to ask ourselves constantly. Because I still have relationships with my kids. I have a son and a daughter, but now I also have a daughter-in-law. And now I've got two little grandchildren. And so the opportunities continue to be thinking about how can I do good with my words in the lives of those lives that have flown out. Flown out? (laughs) Flowed out. Okay, we'll use the second hour on the video, you know. One thing we have to remember with our kids, and a lot of these things, I'm not trying to sound like I'm the wise old sage and did a perfect job parenting, because really, if I learned anything parenting, it was learning by what not to do. (laughs) By doing it wrong and then going, oh, note to self. Try not to do that again. (laughs) But one thing to understand, and I had to remind myself of this over and over over again. My kids' purpose on this planet, in this life, is not to make me look good. We don't always want to admit it, but when our kids look good, it makes us look good, doesn't it? I mean, when they do something really well, or they have some moment, rare moment of brilliance of character or something like that, you know, there's a little part of us that goes, that's my kid. Flowed out of me. (laughs) Not flown out of me, but flowed out of me. (laughs) And especially in the church, you know, if my kid is spiritual, if my kid becomes a Christian... Well, then we must be really good Christian parents. At least that's what we want everybody to think. 
I remember when I was pastoring a church, we had the youth group at, at camp, and one of the kids got sent home. And that Sunday, the parents walk in, and I came up to them, and I just said, I'm really glad you're here. And they said, well, we weren't sure if we're going to. And I said, feeling a little embarrassed? And they go, yeah. And I said, well, let me tell you something. First of all, I'm going to tell you what I was thinking and what everybody else was thinking when we heard that your daughter got sent home. I said, here's what we were thinking. I'm so glad it wasn't my kid this time. Nobody was thinking your kid is bad or you're a bad parent. We were just really glad it was somebody else for a change. <laughs> and I said, really, hey, we're all in this together. You know, we've all been there. We'll be there again, and we'll just get through it together and support each other, and, and everything's cool. If you've ever been hurt by someone's words, there might be a few in this room. I'm not going to do a show of hands. I'm just going to assume that a few of you maybe have been hurt by someone's words. Something said to you, something said about you. I remember when I was in fifth grade, I joined Little League. And we had this coach who would say, hey, you know, just so you know, I'm all bark and no bite. Well, bark meant basically cussing at a bunch of fifth grade boys and embarrassing them anytime a mistake was made. That was a lot of bark. And we got through the season. Now, I wasn't very good. So I got a lot of bark. And, you know, and I was glad when the season was over. Maybe he thought, well, you know, it's good for them. It builds character. And I said, well, it did build some character. I never, ever participated in a competitive team sport again. Because I decided I'm not going I'm not gonna take that risk. I did that once. Maybe other guys are into that. Not me. I'm not good enough that I just want to put myself, I'm not going to pay money to put myself in a position to be humiliated every time I make a mistake. I just figured that's the way it's always going to be. I don't think he really meant that, meant for that kind of impact to happen. I think he just didn't realize it, that it would happen. Coaches, teachers, grandparents, parents, parents of friends. It happens and it hurts. But there's a couple things to remember when we've been hurt by other people's words. In the book of Hebrews, it was read earlier. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize or feel with us, with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way. That word tested, that's the word that comes from a word that means tested, tried, or tempted throughout the New Testament. Who's been tested, tried, or tempted in every way as we are. Jesus never sinned, but every test, every trial, every temptation that we could experience, he experienced. He knows what it's like 
to be insulted, to be falsely accused, to be misrepresented. He knows what that's like. So therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. You can pray to God, you can pray to Jesus and know that you're talking to someone who knows how it feels. I mean, early on in my faith, I used to think, you know, I know it's good to pray, but what does Jesus know about the stuff that I go through? All of it. (laughs) He's experienced all of it. And in Luke chapter 12, Jesus said this. He said, aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. The five sparrows sold for two pennies, that was basically an offering that poor people could purchase at the temple. And he's saying, look, two little birds that nobody cares about, one doesn't fall out of a tree and God's not aware of it. And then he says, Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Some translations say numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows or more valuable than many sparrows. You see, it's words that make us feel like we're less than, that we're insignificant, that we don't matter, that we don't have value, And God says, look, no matter how someone else treats you, I'm paying attention to your life. I know how many hairs are on your head. Now, if you don't have a lot of hair on your head, if you can say, well, I can count the hairs on my head, then substitute back for head. Whatever works. (laughs) The point is, God is paying attention to you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And that the antidote to fear is not to be tough, it's to realize how valuable you are. But see, it's other people's words that make us feel not valuable. I'm going to tell you something. This is a real... bill. This is not a trick question. What is this worth? Right. Correct. Some of you are a little afraid. $20? Yeah, not a trick question. Yes, $20. Now, before the service started, I was outside with this $20 bill. And I started saying some things to it that were not kind at all. In fact, I would not even repeat in polite company the things that I said about this $20 bill to its face. I was insulting. I was condescending. I was mean. Knowing that, what is this $20 bill worth? Yeah. Now... What's it worth now? So even though it's been insulted, denigrated, devalued by someone, 
even physically damaged, what is it worth? Why? Because its value is determined not by what's said about it, not by how it's treated, but by the one who made it. The United States Treasury says this is a $20 bill and it's worth 20 bucks. No matter what I say about it, no matter what I think about it, no matter how I treat it, it's worth 20 bucks because that one who made it determines its value. That is exactly the same thing that's true about you. No matter what somebody says about you, no matter what somebody says to you, no matter how badly you've been treated, and I have a broken heart for anyone who's been treated badly. I've heard, I've sat across the table from so many people who have endured years, years of abuse and mistreatment. And it's, what ultimately happens is people begin to believe it. We begin to believe what's said about us. We begin to believe what's said to us. And we believe the lie that the people who mistreat us determine our value. When the truth is, your value is determined by the one who made you. And the one who made you says you are so valuable to him that he's paying attention to how many hairs you have on your head or back or whatever. He knows the details of your life. He knows more about the details of your life than you do because you matter. And it's hard and it takes a lot of time to reverse those lies. And I've spent hours and hours and hours with people learning about how to recognize deception, refusing to believe it, and then replacing the lies with truth from God's word. But I've had the privilege of having a front row seat to miraculous healing inside people who've been abused, mistreated, when they're finally able to really grab onto the truth of how much God loves them and values them. So much so that God took on the form of a human being and in a betrayed, falsely arrested, falsely accused, beaten, and tortured state, he hung on the cross and took every sin ever committed by every human who'd ever lived on himself. The guilt, the shame, as well as the pain that's inflicted on the victims, everything on him all at once. Because you matter to God. Because he made you. He determines your value. Not anyone else who has mistreated you or misspoken about you or to you. So what's next? We have a lot of next steps. A lot of ways you can get connected with people with whom you can work through this. But I want to give you a few examples that are also available here at our church. Coming up at, toward the end of this month on October 26th is going to be a parenting event. 
And there's going to be stuff for kids, so you can come, you can bring kids, but you can go to this event where you can learn more about parenting, learn more about parenting resources. Another thing we're going to be having is a program that I do here occasionally called Renew the Vow in November. It'll be a Friday night and all day Saturday. This is for married couples. A lot of people think, oh, well, our marriage isn't broken. We're in good shape. That's exactly why you need to come. Because we want to keep you there. We want to keep you in good shape. We want to keep you going strong. But if you're struggling or maybe even broken in the marriage, come too. It's for anyone and everyone. There's also other resources. The first thing you may need to do is you may need to go seek some forgiveness from another person, family member, spouse, kids. You may need to clean that area up first and then work on stuff. And then lastly, get help to heal. Get help to heal. We've got different programs and and resources here at the church. Mending the soul is one. Celebrate recovery is another one. Uh, Something that I'm involved with. Pastoral coaching. Sometimes in different churches they call it pastoral counseling, clergy counseling, whatever. We call it pastoral coaching here. If you could just use some help one-on-one to dig in and figure out where to start and how to get out in front of some of these things. Call the office. I'd love to meet with you. Be happy to do it. I get a feeling that we've touched a few nerves. And the purpose here was not just to make people uncomfortable. Well, I mean, maybe a little. But is to acknowledge a problem and a wound that no matter how long it has been there and has festered, healing is still available. God wants to heal that wound in you because you matter to him, because you're valuable to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your love and forgiveness. And God, I just pray for every person here who maybe has some things to think about, maybe something to do in regards to this issue of our words. Whether it is to seek forgiveness, whether it is to forgive others, whether it is to reach out, to seek help, to find healing, God, I pray that your spirit would make that so clear to each one of us that has a need. In Jesus' name.